0: I actually got some really good percussion on that. That was kind of (laughs) That's a little excessive. But that sounded pretty good for a second, I think. Oh right, I have actual intro music now. Listening! This is the World of Lux Podcast, a podcast where I talk really quickly for no reason other than because I feel like it would be amusing. Probably not to you, but to me. And that's what matters most. (laughs) Not really. What matters most is that I bring you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. By the way, I forgot to introduce myself. My apologies. How incredibly rude of me. I'm Lux. At least that's what I keep telling people. And I was basking in the sun all day on Sunday, playing Pokemon go to the polls, voting on stadium taxes or what whatever. Great. Great, great joke. Great joke. If you want more great jokes like that, follow me at the MF and Casey. or if you don't care about that at all, if you thought that joke was awful, then just follow Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter for podcast stuff and other baseball content. That's actually sometimes worth reading or something. My mom says I'm funny. Today, we don't have a lot of, uh, baseball actual, like, like actual baseball things to talk about because why would I talk about Royals baseball when there's nothing to be gained from that? Um... But there are at least some things to mention from this Royals-White Sox series, so I'll recap the Royals getting swept by the Chicago White Sox in Chicago by three games. Cool, awesome. Some small takeaways there, the pitching, most notably Jackson Kowar, Carlos Hernandez in this series as well as some hitting takeaways, most notably Edward Olivares and Bobby Witt Jr. But the main thing I want to talk about today is really the kind of a ongoing feud with Royals fans and the ownership, as well as this ever-changing scenario with the Royals moving, or not necessarily moving, but trying to build a new stadium. There's some updates to the plan. so A change in the plan. Maybe it's not going to be a downtown stadium like we thought it was going to be. It might be a suburban stadium in the North Kansas City area. I'll talk about that and I don't know. Some other stuff on Royal Deluxe. What do we do on this show? What are the regular things we do on this show? It's, it's a mess. Royals, Royals baseball, it's a mess this season. Here's the Deluxe moment. He is running, and Massey lines it to right field and deep and gone. Michael Massey has hit all three of his home runs this year against the White Sox, and the Royals lead 2-0 in the second inning. You know what? I think Michael Massey is just my favorite player on the Royals right now because I, 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 I just really appreciate him. I'm just really excited about Michael Massey. You know, look, I don't I don't think Michael Massey has like a crazy high ceiling or anything. I don't think this is going to be a perennial all-star player. But I do think that I speak for, you know, a lot of people where I say that I believe he he will be a a solid ball player, a productive regular on a good team. So I was excited for him making the opening day roster. I felt like he deserved that. Even above Nicky Lopez, even though Nicky Lopez, you know, balled out, I think, in the spring training and the World Baseball Classic. I really liked that the Royals gave him a, a, a good opportunity here. And he was awful for the first, like, three weeks of the season. I felt like it was a it was a bi-weekly occurrence where I was—or not bi-weekly, um, twice-weekly occurrence— Two times a week, I was complaining about Michael Massey. Every time I did this podcast, it's like we had a segment just to, to, to dump on Michael Massey and talk about how bad he was hitting. And ever since then, he has just been fantastic. He's just been su- such, a, such a solid hitter. Even as the Royals' offense slumps, he alone is, is getting it done. He has broken up two no-hitters this season. <laughs> Him alone. Why, I don't know. But Awesome. Anyway, this home run, it comes less than 24 hours after he apparently proposed to his girlfriend, or whomstever. He's from Chicago, by the way, so this is actually, that actually makes sense. He's got, like, friends and family here, so big deal for him being in Chicago. But, um, yeah, Michael Massey just continues to rack up Ws. We love to see that. Not going to do a Tucker Bradley segment this time around. I think I'll probably just keep that to Fridays to keep the Sunday episode a little bit shorter, uh, at least for a, a Sunday like this where I just don't have a whole lot to talk about in general. Although I guess that's contradictory. You think I? W- you think I would be? You know, rushing to add more segments to a podcast where I don't have a lot of things to talk about? Oh well. So let's just get a bit to the to the bad stuff. Let's talk about the bad things that have happened. Royals got swept in the South Side. Uh, they lost all three games in this series against the Chicago White Sox. You know, a theme of the Royals, I think, is that anytime time I compliment them or, you know, instill hope in, in them from myself or whatever, anytime I try to hype them up, anytime I think that they're onto something good, they immediately turn around and just slap me in the face. It's like they just completely reverse whatever, they completely undo whatever progress they seem to make throughout the season. You know, they have a, a really great series against the White Sox last week you know, where, you know, they win three out of four games and their offense just goes off all four games, basically. Or not all four games, but three of those four games, basically. It's like, all right, yeah, sick, this is looking good. It looks like the Royal season is looking up. And then they get swept in Milwaukee. But even then, I was thinking, hey, you know, they they get swept in Milwaukee, but it, was, it wasn't it was a terrible series. They played, they, played, they played competitive baseball against a good team. They simply got outplayed not not a big deal not a series worth getting mad about and then they they win a series against San Diego which is which was weird because i don't think they played very well but at least they won so i could be satisfied with that and then they just get swept in Chicago they played terrible baseball and they 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 get outplayed by a team that is i mean i guess you can say that they're better then but they're not very good. They're not they're not the Brewers, alright. I do not believe the White Sox are very good. I do not believe they're on the cusp of turning it around. Sure, Luis Robert is hitting like eight thousand against the Royals this season and in general he's having a good season, but I don't I don't think this White Sox roster is particularly strong. I mean, you can call this cope, I guess, if you want. Like, if you're a White Sox fan and you're listening to this to, to listen to a miserable Royals fan talk about how much their team sucks, you want to you say I'm coping by saying the White Sox aren't very good, then, like, okay, fine, like, sure, fair. You know, y- y'all won, you can say whatever you want. You, I will take this L. I'm just saying, Michael Kopech? Really? You're gonna get one hit by this guy? How? Huh? Not to mention it felt like they were about an estimate of 37 quadrillion base running blunders in this series uh, by the Royals alone. It was just it was just terrible baseball all around like the Royals seriously played some of their worst baseball over the entire weekend. And you probably already know that you you've already heard it from everybody else. I don't. We don't really need to get into it too much. But there are two people, two hitters on this roster that I kind of want to shout out as being um, not not okay, fellas. Do better. And uh, the first one is Edward Olivares. So Edward Olivares. Um, I don't remember when it was, but I definitely at some point in April did a podcast where I said. Edward Oliva- Ed Edward Olivares should be placed on waivers. Like he can like if he doesn't get claimed you can stash him in the minor leagues and maybe try again later or, or you know see if something happens. I guess or a, another team picks him up and you don't have to worry about it. Like I don't I honestly don't care. It's it kind of an easy way of getting rid of Edward Olivares is what I'm looking for. Because I don't actually think he has he has options anymore. I doubt it. Um, and even if, but even if he does, I think you should still put him on waivers because j- just to see if another team will take him. Um, and if not, then just DFA him. I guess you could just I guess you could just do that. You could just cut the middleman. Basically, point is, some point in April, I was saying Edward Olivares, I'm I'm done with him. I'm not interested in watching him play baseball for the Royals anymore. I think that they tried with him for a couple of years. Um, maybe for some of those years they didn't try hard enough. Mismanaged him a little bit. But now that we've gotten a better... Now that he's made the opening day roster and we've actually seen him, I'm like, oh, he's actually not a very good player. So I'm kind of done with him. However, after I first said that, he got hot. I don't remember when exactly this happened, but I do, in the second half of April or so, he was hitting pretty well. So, I was willing to hold off and say, okay... I'm not convinced that Edward Olivares is like a, a, a good player, but for now, he's hitting well, so I'll keep him around. He can stay. He can live. However, in the month of May, now keep in mind this is not counting Sunday's game where he did get a hit, so this will be a little bit lower than it actually is, but in the month of May leading up to Sunday's game, he was hitting 98 .098 with a 196 on base, a 171 slugging with one home run. Uh 7 only 7 strikeouts in 46 plate appearances, so that's kind of cool. Four walks. So at least he's not striking out, but I mean, what good is it if he's not hitting the frickin' baseball? I don't know, maybe you could call this bad luck because his 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 BABIP is batted his batting average on balls in play is 91. Which I will I will give him this. That is insanely like hilariously stupidly low to the point where that doesn't even sound like it should be possible. And actually, his expected batting average for the season is like 50 points higher than his actual batting average, which I I guess could count for something. However, I don't know. Do we do we still want to stick around and wait for Edward Olivares to get better? Is there still some kind of worthwhile ceiling for him to reach because I, I just don't know if I see it anymore, especially because his outfield defense is so horrible. I'm just kind of over the Edward Olivares experiment personally. And something else that I am definitely I, I really want to get off of this wild ride. Bobby Witt Jr. in the leadoff spot. No. Stop doing this. why? are the Royals doing this? I actually know why the Royals are doing this. So Cody Tapp of uh, Cody and Gold on 610 Sports KC, uh, he has talked to J.J. Piccolo directly. He has asked him this directly. Why is Bobby Witt Jr. hitting leadoff? And J.J. has said that's where he's just gonna hit. They they just want Bobby Witt Jr. in the leadoff spot. They want him getting as many at-bats as possible. And I guess mission accomplished because Bobby Witt Jr. is currently leading baseball in at-bats. So, cool? Actually, that's not true anymore. He used to be. He was for a little bit. But, regardless, or irregardless as some might say, he's hitting two thirty with a two seventy two on base. So, that many at-bats and... Not a lot to show for it. Royals Daily has tweeted that since he started hitting leadoff, since April seven, which is since April seventeenth, he's hitting two oh nine with a two fifty on base. And for some reason, the Royals are just like, yeah, well, he he needs to hit leadoff. What is this? What is the? What is this supposed to 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 prove? You know, I said on Friday that. If he's going to hit leadoff, I felt like the Royals were giving Bobby a privilege to hit leadoff. And in order for him to keep that privilege, he should show that he's developing skills that would be necessary to be a leadoff hitter. In that he needs to stop chasing so many pitches. He needs to, he needs to actually exercise some plate discipline. He needs to take some walks. He needs to get, it's, uh, he needs to get on base himself. And clearly that's not what he's doing. Has this really been going on for a month? I, I genuinely didn't r- realize that. I seriously had no idea that Bobby Wood Jr. has been hitting off, has, has been hitting leadoff for a month. I guess that's why he at one point was leading baseball and at bats. And the thing that really bothers me about this, the fact that Bobby Wood Jr. Is, is hitting leadoff, is that it gives me the 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 same uncomfortable feeling that I have with that I had with Adalberto Mondesi. Like, all of the failure—like, like to Mondesi is a beacon of failure from the Dayton Moore administration because they, they signed this guy. He was an international signing, and he was, you know, like, he had superstar-level talent, and they were fully aware of it, and they would not shut up about it for one second— they, would, they kept They kept shoving Mondesi in our faces like, look at us. Look at us. We've got this cool superstar prospect in our system. Oh, he's going to make the majors at a super young age and he's going to be like the next star for the Royals. Ooh, look at us. Royals, we're in the World Series. We're going to debut this superstar product. We're, this superstar prospect. We're going to put Adalberto Mondesi on the World Series roster so we can take like... Th- how many pitches did he take in that one at-bat? Did he only take three, maybe four pitches so he could strike out and do nothing but hey he's on the world series roster so we'll teach him you know to be on this we'll 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 make him hungry for that world series contention once again and that's all they did throughout throughout Mondesi's entire career they just told him oh he, you're so talented Moniz you can do anything you're so great just keep swinging that bat and then keep stealing those bases and keep playing that shortstop because you're you're so great they didn't actually teach him anything they definitely didn't teach him how to identify pitches and how to not swing at them. And so, Monesey didn't become anything. He didn't play on a winning team. Nothing happened. They they rushed him to the majors like three years early. And even when he did make the majors, nothing really changed with his with his approach, with his game. Sure, he had some really cool moments. He had some really exciting stretches. But ultimately, yeah, he didn't turn into anything. And I was really hoping, and I guess I am still hoping, that the Royals wouldn't make the same mistakes with Bobby Witt Jr. Because here we are once again, or I guess here we were a couple years ago, the Royals have a superstar-level prospect. This guy has all the talent in the world, and he even plays shortstop. Wow, what are the odds of that? So in 2021, Bobby Witt Jr. has this amazing spring training. All right, he he hits a ball like 490 feet or something. He hits this insanely long home run in spring training. Fans are saying he needs to be in the major leagues. Players are saying he needs to be in the major leagues. Like Whit Merrifield was an advocate for this, where they're like, yeah, this kid's ready. He needs to be on the major league roster. And the Royals were just like, you know what? No, we are not going to make the same mistake. that we made with Modesty by calling up Bobby Witt Jr. a superstar shortstop prospect to the majors to one at this point it was only one year I guess year 2 really we're not we're not going to make that same mistake all right we are going to let this guy actually develop so that when he's in the majors he's ready so I feel like that was a good that that was the right decision And then they called him up opening day 2022 as a cool marketing gimmick or whatever. I'm fine with that. I've been generally fine with how they've handled Bobby Witt Jr. to this point, maybe with the exception of, you know, 2022 bouncing him around different positions. Clearly that didn't help him very much. Now that he's playing one position, he's actually really good at it. Wow. Crazy how that works. But putting him in the leadoff spot... And keeping him there, even though he's not good at it, even though he's not capable of hitting leadoff, that reeks to me of the same preferential treatment that the Royals gave Mondesi for several years, where they just would not let go of this talent, and they they, they wouldn't do anything to really capitalize on the talent that they had. They wouldn't do anything to unlock the talent that they had. They just kept saying, we have this talent, and we are going to flaunt it as much as possible. Here's Bobby Witt Jr. Everyone expects him to be a star player. He's the most popular player on the team, arguably. The most marketable player on the team, arguably. Let's give him as many at-bats as possible by putting him in the number one spot. That's what I think the Royals are doing. That's why I think they don't want Bobby Witt Jr. to be getting more at-bats because they think that's going to help develop him because clearly it's not. They just want him to be in front of everybody as much as possible. That's my cynical brain talking and thinking that's what's going on. Just like with Mondesi from 2013 to 2021 or 2 or whatever, they're throwing Bobby into the fire and just saying, oh, he'll figure it out. He'll, he'll figure it out. Why? Because he's so talented, and look, I do believe Bobby Witt Jr. is talented, and I'm not saying this because I think you know he he's a bust. I'm not saying he can't figure it out. I just don't think the Royals are making a good decision here. I don't think the Royals are doing him any favors by putting him in the leadoff spot. You know, I'll I'll reiterate something that I said on Friday. I would just I would just go up to him and say, hey. First at bat of the game, don't swing. Don't swing the bat a single time. And if he swings the bat a single time in that first at bat, take him out of the game. <laughs> That's what I would try. Just just have him not swing for once in his freaking life and see what happens. Even even if he strikes out looking on 3 pitches. Take that take that risk just to just see what happens. I think. But there has been some interestingly positive developments, I suppose, uh, over the course of this weekend. So Carlos Hernandez, once again, had a fantastic outing on Sunday. He was, it feels like this this is seriously happening like every other day, but the Royals once again had a bullpen game on Sunday. Carlos Hernandez came out, pitched two innings, and he was phenomenal in those two innings two perfect innings. No hits, no walks, no nothing. Three strikeouts. Fantastic. Then Max Castillo came out, tried to pitch 5 innings, didn't. Got close. Also gave up 5 runs. Yeah, I think I was saying don't don't get too comfortable with Max Castillo. The the blow up is going to happen at some point. Well, I guess it kind of happened there. 4.2 innings pitched, 8 hits, 5 runs no walks and one strikeout. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't he was not cooking <laughs> in this game. Um that was about it. But Carlos Hernandez. Yeah. This dude has a career strikeouts through 9 of 7. He struck out 7 hitters per 9 innings from 2020 to 2022. He's also walked four and a half batters per nine innings in those same years. 2023, not even including Sunday's game, which is going to likely improve these things. He's striking out 11 and a half hitters per nine innings and only walking three and a third. Which again, this is not even counting Sunday's game when he walked none in two innings and struck out three. So those rates are going to improve just a little bit, just a little more, and that's really good. That's It's like, oh, wow, hey, a positive development on this Royals pitching staff. That's pretty cool. We love to see it. Would be nice if we saw that from an actual starting pitcher, but we'll take something. But actually, maybe we did see that from an actual starting pitcher. Because on Saturday, or rather, no, it was on Friday, uh, Zach Ranky, he won 5.2 innings. Only gave up two runs, which is actually good for him. That's actually really good for him on the road, because he's terrible on the road. He's made two good starts on the road consecutively. Wow, after having like a 9 ERA on the road. So, yippee. Zach's ERA now begins with a 4 again. We love to see it. But then, Jackson Kowar came in to pitch... In relief in the sixth Which was probably a really scary situation For anybody who knows Who Jackson Cowar Is And immediately He walks the first batter he sees He walks the second batter He sees Bases are loaded And then he gets a ground out To end the inning And then Immediately after Two strikeouts in the seventh inning. First two batters he sees. Two strikeouts, swinging strikeouts at that. And then another ground out. A perfect inning. And then comes out for the bottom of the eighth, gets a strikeout looking, and then two fly ball outs. Two weekly hit fly ball outs. Yeah. Jackson Kowar came into the game, immediately looked like regular Jackson Kowar, and now look and then immediately just bounce back and turn into rehabilitated Jackson Kowar reborn Jackson Kowar, rebuilt Jackson Kowar, we can rebuild him, we have the technology and that's pretty cool, I think that uh, it's a lot of us speculate that the, the issues that Jackson Kowar have are mental like he has the talent, it's just that he just can't put it together, I suppose And it probably doesn't help that he has a mountain of failures behind him At the major league level Well, here he is in the 2023 season With an ERA of zero After actually pitching a major league game That that has to, that, that has to mean something It has to mean a little bit, you know one, one one small step for man, and a great leap for the Royals organization in pitching development. I said at the beginning of the season, if they if if Jackson Kowar becomes anything productive at the major league level, I don't care if he's a, like a reliever with a 4.2 ERA that's just kind of there, and you don't really think about him or see him all that often. If even if they, even if he turns into that, that is so much better than what he was with freaking. Well, I forgot the guy's name. Freaking Cal Eldred as pitching coach. All right, this dude has a freaking career ERA over ten after almost fifty innings. So just getting a couple scoreless innings. I actually don't know if Jackson Coward has had a single outing in his career at the major league, at the major league level that was scoreless. Okay, actually, it does turn out that he 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 actually does have a couple of them. <laughs> I immediately looked him up and was wrong. Oops! I mean, look, can you blame me? He has an ERA of ten. I really didn't know he I didn't know he had it in him. But seriously, he was looking really good on Friday. So if that's a sign of something, I don't know if the Royals are gonna plan on using him as a starter because he hasn't been starting at AAA. I think maybe if if nothing else, they'll keep him in the bullpen and just try to you know, keep this going, but, you know, who knows, maybe if they, maybe if he does show some progress out of the bullpen, maybe they will stretch him back out into a starter at some point, it could happen, stranger things have happened, for sure, I guess we'll have to see, because Jackson Cobar was actually optioned back to AAA Omaha, they did the thing where, you know, he pitches one game, goes back down immediately, Um, but, you know, hey, it's still a, a positive note for him. I think the Royals just wanted to, wanted to preserve the legend of the zero ERA Jackson Kowar. And I respect that. I, admit, I, I admire that. Witness him! Anyway, that's enough about baseball games. I gotta talk about some other stuff like ownership and stadiums. But first, I gotta add something to the show. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. So, some uh, there's kind of like an ongoing situation, I suppose, with the Royals and the you know they you know it's it's obvious they want to build a new stadium. All right, we're we're not new here. We all we all know that they they want to do this. However, something has been kind of um, interesting. So something kind of interesting has been going on where uh, it's it's, it's kind of like a, been a recent development where the Royals are now talking to Clay County. You know, they they officially reside in Jackson County, but they are considering the possibility of getting out of there to move to Clay County and have the stadium built in the North Kansas City area. And the commissioners of Clay County, as well as the mayor of North Kansas City, have all... Voiced there are they they they, they kind of made their voices heard. Sorry, I'm playing with something on my desk and just dropped it on my keyboard like a freaking jackass. Um, they, they they've made their point and they said that, like, like, yeah, we're we're talking to the Royals, we're discussing the possibility of bringing the stadium here, and they have this vision of basically making their own Wrigleyville. Like, they they want to they they envision a stadium that would be in the neighboring Kansas City area. Or not neighboring area, but rather they kind of want to build a, a ballpark neighborhood. That's kind of what they envision in North Kansas City. Now, I I I want in a in a way I would like to have some kind of strong stance as to where I think the ballpark should be and and stuff like that. But I also kind of think it's not really my place to comment on that, specifically because. I don't live in Jackson County nor do I live in Clay County. I don't even live in Missouri. I live in freaking Overland Park, bro. So, unless there are there's discussions of bringing the stadium here, I don't really think I I get a say in this. And that's not because I don't care, but it's because I, you know, that's a that's a public affair for the people who actually live in those places. I, like, they want to build the stadium in on their land, they want to tax the people over there to, to fund it, you know, like, it, it doesn't affect me. So the people that it does affect, those are the people that, you know, should care the most, and I'm just kind of an outsider. Again, though, unless they want to bring the stadium over here, which I would be in full support of, because since I moved to Overland Park five years ago, they have decided to just put non-stop crap all over the freaking city so now wherever you go overland park is always under construction and maybe i just want it to stay that way so with regards to you know people who live in jackson county or clay county I'm not going to join the war of where I think the stadium should be, assuming assuming the Royals do build a new stadium, because not my money, not my property, so I shouldn't really have a say in it. And similarly, I don't really think I get a say in how it should be funded, although I will say public funding is generally not a thing that goes over pretty well. It has a fairly low success rate in terms of, like, what people actually get out of it. You know, like, usually people don't really get what they want out of it, and usually the, the people who are, you know, organizing it kind of hide it. Like, for example, the Marlins are a big example of why public funding is not a good thing because the Marlins just straight-up lied about how much money they had. So my stance on, you know, public funding, I'll just, I'll just say, eh, but again, I'm not the one who's going to be... You know, able to vote on this because I'm not a citizen of either of these counties so not my thing, not my business and I say this not because I don't care but because it's not my place that all being said by the way I like Kauffman Stadium quite a lot so if the Royals want to keep it that's cool too my main concern with a new stadium as a Royals fan is that it has to be right and that is how I've always felt about the Royals wanting to build a new stadium. All right, I've thought about this for a long time because I've heard the rumors of them wanting to build a new stadium pretty much since ownership took over in 2019. That was like one of the first things that that started to come out is that oh, new ownership—they want to build a new stadium. I, that that seemed to pop up immediately, even if it wasn't public, even if it wasn't publicly acknowledged until uh, um, until 2022. And I've always been open to the idea. I've always thought, yeah, they, they could build a new stadium. Because Kauffman, as much as I love it, it's not perfect. Having a stadium that actually feels like it's part of a city, part of an area, part of a culture, that would be quite nice. I would really like that. But I also don't want the Royals to, you know, just simply build a stadium. Like, oh, here's a baseball field. Here's some seats around it. And uh, we'll put a crown on top of it. Boom, done. Like no, 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 no. You, you you can't do that. Kauffman Stadium is special. It's it's a it's a fantastic ballpark. If you're gonna take that away, you know you have to understand. You're 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 removing a very very nice ballpark. So whatever is gonna succeed it, you know, they, they're they're really high expectations for this. I still kind of think they should just find a way to dig Kaufman out of the ground and then just airdrop it into wherever it is they want it to go. Just build the exact same stadium, just downtown or North Kansas City or whatever. That's my main concern. My main concern is that they take away Kaufman and then give us a stadium that is not as good. That is something I really, really fear, and I hope that doesn't happen. I don't care where it is, I don't care how it's paid for, because again, that's not something I, I, I am responsible for, but as someone who enjoys visiting Kauffman Stadium, I will be very, very sad if that experience is taken away and replaced with something not as fun. Now the other point that I wanted to make in this episode is I wanted to talk about ownership, because people are really, really angry at ownership for seemingly not caring about the team. Only caring about this downtown stadium and then, you know, demanding and expecting everybody to pay for it. And everyone's like, why should we pay more money for the Royals and their new fancy stadium when the Royals aren't even good? Why is this billionaire owner telling us what we need to do when he can't make the Royals good? Basically, why should the public fork over money if the owner if ownership isn't going to fork over money to you know feel a competitive product which you know is a fair question these are fair criticisms of ownership i think people have a right to be skeptical about ownership especially since royals have not had very good ownership in the modern era the david glass administration was not very good in fact some would say it was actually pretty terrible and some others would say it's disrespectful to speak ill of a dead man's name. Well, he should rise from the grave and tell me about it himself if he's offended. Also, he sold the team for a billion dollars and didn't even live to see the consequences. So, he absolutely got the last laugh. Anyway, the 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 main points that I wanted to make, and I already kind of like posted them on Twitter as kind of like basic, as like a basic outline, is that one thing is, Ownership, not spending money on the team, you know, not increasing the payroll, that's not the reason why the Royals are bad. Like, like I hope everyone can understand that. This is kind of like what I was saying on a... Maybe it was Friday, maybe it was last Sunday, but when I was talking about Jordan Lyles last time, when I made the Necessary Evil episode about Jordan Lyles, I kind of described him as a symptom of the overall problem that the Royals have. He himself is not the issue. The problem, Jordan Lyles, yes, he's a bad pitcher, and I, under, I understand that. But the bigger issue that the Royals have is that they couldn't develop five pitchers who are better than Jordan Lyles. Similarly, I, w- I will say that ownership not spending money is not helping the team. All right, It's not a good thing. But I also think the bigger problem is that the Royals can't play competitive baseball without seemingly having to spend a lot of money. I mean, really, like, how how much money do do the Royals need to spend in order for them to be competitive? And let's let's not even define competitive as playoff caliber. Let's just define competitive as 500. I mean, the Royals right now are 14 and 34. Like, they're abysmal. They're terrible. I don't think that inflating the payroll to a respectable 140 million, which is basically 50 more than what it is, Right now, it's around $90 million, I think. I don't even think that's going to, you know... I mean, it'll definitely help. The Royals will definitely win more games with that. But, I mean, it, this young core of players that we're, we're trying to field, all right? Like, we really believe that this would be the future. And, you know, for what it's worth, like, this is not me counting them out necessarily, okay? But at least for right now, you know, at this point in this season, a 14-34 and 34 record... This is all that this young core has to show for itself. This young core of hitters, the pitchers that we drafted so many years ago, and some very minor contracts that have been given out along the way. Yes, I am calling Hunter Dozier a minor contract because $17 million is not a whole lot in Major League Baseball. Same with Jordan Lyles. The only thing is that the Royals would like you to believe that $17 million is a lot. But this is supposedly, you know, the product of, you know, the quote-unquote rebuilding years between 2018 and 2021. This is it. This is what Dayton Moore was trying to build. It's now this. It's the second worst team in baseball. If that's like the baseline for this team without having to spend, then spending money isn't really going to help all that much. If anything, it probably put us in a worse position because... You know, you go you, you you increase the payroll by so much and then oh, you only go you only win this many games. I mean, if the Royals had a payroll of 140 million or so and they were only 500, would that really be would that really be better than what it is right now? Because then all it means is, oh hey, we're only 500 and we already spent all this money. We can't spend a whole lot more money to, you know, fix what other whatever other issues we have in place. Now, I should probably stop because it probably sounds like a defense for Royals ownership not spending, which is not what I want this to be. I don't necessarily support the Royals ownership not spending, and and like I said, it definitely is not helping the team. I'm just trying to say it is not the only reason why the Royals are a bad baseball team. It's not the only reason why the Royals are 14 and 34. In fact, I should just say that I actually am kind of disappointed that Royals ownership hasn't spent more money because... That was kind of the promise that they had. When John Sherman took over this team in 2019, he pretty much said, yeah, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to make this team competitive. And so far, he really hasn't done that. Unless, I suppose, the very small shopping spree they did in 2021 is supposed to be him spending money and being more competitive when they... Signed Mike Miner to a two-year deal. Signed Carlos Santana to a two-year deal. Extended Hunter Dozier for some weird reason. Extended Salvador Perez, even though he didn't need to, but that was actually a good idea. Because if he went to free agency that year, he would have made a lot more than $80 million. I mean, for what it's worth, I did start to believe that, oh, hey... This ownership really does look like it's going to start spending money. If it's going to start, you know, in 2021 before we're really ready to compete, yeah, this is a pretty good sign. But then it felt like, once again, this last offseason, it seemed like, oh, this was a good opportunity to spend money. And then they just didn't. And, you know, and Sherman's kind of pushing that back, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll spend money. I'll, I'll make this team competitive. But, you know, when the time is right, it's like he's kind of pushing back on that. it's not a good sign. So I hope I'm not you know, I hope this doesn't seem like I'm actually defending ownership, not spending. I'm just saying it's not the only reason why the team is bad. I actually do think that John Sherman cares. A lot of people think that he doesn't care. But I, I have to counter with that by saying he fired Dayton Moore. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have done that. Like, I I, I fully believe that David Glass wouldn't have done that. David, David Glass... I mean, he David Glass should have fired Dayton Moore after 2019. Instead, he just sold the season. He's like, ah, "I'm getting out of here. See ya, bozos." If Sherman, you know, didn't care about the team, then he would have just let Dayton Moore continue doing whatever he wanted. And even if he did, you know, fire Dayton Moore just as a clou- as a crowd pleasing measure, he still wouldn't have said a lot of the stuff that he said immediately after about how talked about, you know, the data driven stuff that he wanted to see more of. How he said he doesn't want to see a championship team, he wants to see a wild card team first, which was basically a cool way of saying that he wanted to see the process rather than hearing about the result, getting tired of picking too high in the draft, you know, things like that. Even if he hasn't really done a whole lot I, he's at least said a lot of the right things, in my honest opinion. And I guess it might be weird to say that I trust him. Maybe I don't necessarily, but I feel like he's the only person in the entire Royals organization who has actually showed any amount of honesty to the public. Because, you know, uh, un- until he fired Dayton Moore, until, until that guy was gone... All we ever heard from the Royals was, you know, usually just Dayton Moore saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be competitive this year with uh, Lucas Duda as our first baseman. And, oh, these players, they're, they're great fathers and husbands, you know, all this stuff about how the Royals are going to be competitive. But then when they're not, oh, yeah, we expected this. Yeah, this is this is part of the plan. This was part of the process. We know what we're doing. And when David Glass was owner, he would just complain about how the Royals were losing money. In those years, at the he, at, right after the Royals won the world championship, David Glass was like, oh, but the Royals are losing money, and that's bad, and I don't like that. After he spent literally an entire decade plus spending as little money as possible to keep the team running and reaping all the benefits of that. No, the, 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 oh, Royals lost like Royals might've lost money for like three years. Oh, oh so sad. Wow. And then he tr- sold the team for a billion dollars and, and died. Wow. Amazing. I feel I, my heart weeps for him. His family must just be utterly devastated by that series of events. All right. Point is, I am kind of saying that David Glass and Dayton Moore, I don't know if they're necessarily liars or even bad people, but I do think they were kind of full of shit. At least when it came to you know running and managing the Kansas City Royals now John Sherman, okay, maybe he he maybe he is full of shit, but i I do still think that he cares about this team. He cares about making the Royals good, and I think that's kind of why he's so enthusiastic about this new stadium sort of thing. It's something that's supposed to connect into Kansas City and grow this city overall which is something that I'm in, I'm in support of. I, re- I would really love it if, if the Royals or yeah, if the Royals was played downtown or whatever I mean, I just love the idea of that because, you know I, growing up in Kansas City, I knew how bland this place was in the 2000s no one, ever, no one would ever want to come here for anything what was there to do in Kansas City? I remember when, they, when, they, when the Sprint Center was built. Like, that was massive for the city. That was such a big deal. And then that kind of started all these other developments all throughout the city. And now, oh, wow, it actually feels like there's something going on downtown. You know, the fact that it's actually somewhat plausible for the Royals to have a stadium in downtown Kansas City. I love that idea because it just shows how much the city has grown in the last 10, 15 years. Because back then, you could not even have that conversation. You could not even fathom it. It was completely impossible. It was a, It's a ridiculous idea. Would have never happened. But now it's like, I can see this happening. And I think that's really cool. I don't think John Sherman is owning the Royals because it's a, a cool asset to have. I think he actually really does want to improve the culture of Kansas City. And I support that. And this kind of is me leading to a different point that I wanted to make, which is that the Royals aren't moving, y'all. I I really hope no one is seriously thinking that the Royals are going to move. I, I understand if people are afraid of that. Okay, that would that would make sense, I suppose. But this this stadium proposal, all all the st- even if there's some drama going on, like with between counties and with residents, you know, the taxes and stuff like that. It's not going to decide whether or not the Royals continue to exist. They will. They just simply will. If the stadium proposal falls through, if public is if the public is adamant they're like no, we're not building a new stadium. Leave us alone. The Royals will just stay in Kauffman Stadium for however long it still it continues to hold up. And everything will just be the way it should be I suppose I don't think that there's some kind of ultimate plan that ownership is you know falling back on where it's like oh well if we don't get the stadium that we want we'll just take the, the royals out of Kansas City well how about that and maybe I sound silly because I sound trustworth I sound trusting of a billionaire and I should know better but it's also because I I do know better because I I don't trust billionaires I also find them extremely skeevy. I I don't believe that they got that money by completely honest means. Billionaires are really manipulative and evil people. So here's the thing. Here's, Here's the question that I always ask for anybody who thinks that ownership is going to take the Royals out of Kansas City if they don't get the new stadium. If that's the plan, why don't they just come out and say that? Like, why don't they just come out and tell everybody, hey... If you don't vote to publicly fund a new Royal Stadium, we're going to take the Royals away from Kansas City. How about that? I mean, John Sherman has all the leverage in this. This is completely like his thing. This is his game that we are all playing. So why doesn't he just say, all right, vote yes or say goodbye to the Royals? Why doesn't he just come out guns blazing Manipulate like, like, he knows by this point that people aren't really on board with this new stadium thing. He knows he's kind of fighting an uphill battle, gaining public interest in this, but gaining public support in this. Why doesn't he just pressure everybody? I wish I could find, like, the exact quote or, like, wherever this was posted. But when he did that town hall in, like, March or maybe it was February... Um, you know, where the Royals, where John Sherman himself basically confronted the public and you know made his case about why the Royals need a new stadium and part and kind of outlined the process of how it would happen. He was literally asked if the Royals were going to stay in Kansas City if this doesn't happen. Like he was seriously directly asked if the if we say no if this new stadium doesn't happen, are the Royals staying in cases in Kansas City? And he said, yeah. I'm not going to take the Royals out of the KC. Like, he just straight up told everybody that. Why would he do that, if, that if, he, if he wanted to go back on that? If all along he's actually planning on doing something different? I don't really get that. Now, I suppose there is the outcome that if this new stadium doesn't happen, ownership sells and gives it to someone else who does move the team. I suppose that's possible but I don't think it's actually going to happen. I mean, when ownership is transferred over, they don't just give it to some random guy. You don't just sell a baseball team to whoever's buying. Especially if they're gonna say, hey, this baseball team that I'm gonna buy from you, I'm just gonna totally take it away from this city and just do whatever I want with it. Because screw the public. I mean, come on, guys. Are people really that mean? Oh, yeah, actually they are, but... I mean, I'm I'm still skeptical to all that. I mean, if all ownership really wanted at the end of the day was the new stadium, then why didn't they make that more clear when they took over? That was never really... Like, like I said, this wasn't really a, a publicly acknowledged thing until 2022. I mean, okay, technically it was... Like I think John Sherman had admitted that 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 he was planning on doing that before you know the Royals themselves made a statement about it in 2022. But even then, it was still just kind of a rumor for the first year or two. Why didn't Sherman? You know, when Sherman first addressed the public as owner of the Kansas City Royals, why didn't he just say, "Hey, by the way, I I would really like to build a new stadium. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. That's my objective for the for the Royals, not to make the team competitive, but to build a new stadium because I just think that should happen for some reason." But hey, it's not like John Sherman is the only person in control. It's not like he's the only person in that ownership group. So at least remember that. There's lots of moving pieces to this. And I think most, if not all of them, are very heavily invested in the culture of Kansas City. So don't stress yourselves too hard about whether or not the Royals are going to exist, the Kansas City Royals are going to exist in 2032 and beyond. I am fully confident that they will. And, look, if I'm wrong and they don't, well, I will cry along with you. However, that being said, I do want to make this a little bit known. And that's, um, if... I'm not going to name any names. I don't even know specifically who is saying this. Just that I am seeing this being sent around, this being shared around a little bit. People saying that the royals should move if ownership isn't willing to spend, if ownership isn't willing to make the team competitive. The team is bad right now. Wow, look at them. They're so bad. They should just play in another city. Honestly? How dare you? Please don't insult me like that. That's just really, really mean. I don't care if the Royals are bad. I just care that, they, that they're around. I mean, obviously, I want them to be good. But I, I will take a full decade of 100 lost seasons over the Royals not existing in Kansas City anymore. If that upsets you, find something else to care about. You don't have to care about the Royals. That's the that's a very important thing. And I don't blame you if you don't care about the Royals. I don't ca- I don't blame you if you can't accept the Royals' lack of success. You're totally justified in thinking that. But Please don't try taking it away from the people like me, who are still invested, who still do care, and who do still believe that things are going to be fun and good for the royals at some point in the near future. And the ones who will forget all about this and welcome you with open arms when it does ultimately happen. Just like everyone did in 2015. But really, I I can't even fathom why someone would say the Royals should move because they have bad ownership. But guys, did you know that you can have bad ownership and also be a good baseball team? It's possible, believe it or not. Yes, the Royals suck now. Yes, that's somewhat on ownership. But yes, I think things will get better. And yes, I do think the Royals will stay in Kansas City. Forevermore. I'll admit I didn't conduct myself very eloquently on this episode. Cause I Sundays are always difficult for me. I gotta do something about these Sunday episodes, or rather these Monday episodes. They really take a toll on me. Uh, I gotta figure something out for this. Cause this is not sustainable. But oh well, we've got a week to look forward to. This week the Royals are gonna play the Tigers. They're a team that you would want to say that are um, as bad as the Royals, but not really. They're 20-23. Although, funny enough, the Royals have arguably a better Pythagorean record. It's actually weird. The Royals have played a lot more games than the Tigers. Um, So by Pythagorean record, which is to say their theoretical record based on their runs scored versus runs allowed, the Tigers have a Pythagorean record of 16-27. The Royals is 17-30. and 30. This is not taking into account Sunday's games, by the way, in case that wasn't clear. So I don't know. Maybe the Tigers really are evenly matched, question mark? We will have to see. Um. But uh, this is going to be interesting because Monday, we're going to have Brady Singer on the mound. Yay, Brady Singer. We love him. Uh, he's been doing pretty well lately. Hopefully this is him turning a corner and getting back on track this season. And then the Tigers are going to send out Michael Lorenzen, a thirty-year-old, uh, 31-year-old starting pitcher who's been with all kinds of different—actually, no, not all kinds of different teams. He was a Reds guy for a long time. Played with the Angels last year through 97 innings and in 18 starts, 4.24 ERA. Tigers brought him on for a one-year deal. He's had a 3.44 ERA in 34 innings so far, 6 starts, so pretty good. Uh, The main issue with this guy is he's just been injured for the most part, and just overall not entirely successful as a starter, but yeah, I guess it kind of worked with the Angels, and so far it's working for the Tigers, so I guess good for them. And then on Tuesday, this is going to be really interesting. I'm going to the game on Tuesday. Um, There are no probable pitchers for this from either team. So... uh... Don't know what to say there, but yeah, I'm going to the game on Tuesday because it's Gamer Night. (laughs) The Royals have a promo called Gamer Night. Look, guys, I have to see this. I have to see what Gamer Night at the K is like. It's just... It's probably nothing, but it could also be a cringe-fest of epic proportions. And if it is, I need to be a part of it. So look forward to that on Tuesday. Uh, I'll be sitting right above the Royals' dugout, so maybe you'll see me. I'll be with a guy with the long hair. Can't miss me. Anyway, on Wednesday... Zach Greinke's going to pitch. There's actually a probable... like like that, That's why it's so weird that there are no probable pitchers for Tuesday's game. Because the Royals have a probable pitcher for, for Wednesday, which is Zach Greinke. Which I guess makes sense. That would be his turn in the rotation. I guess that's why Baseball Reference is saying that. Uh, the Tigers don't have a probable pitcher, though. So, I like, once again, no idea what to say about that. It's a, it's a mess. I think the Tigers are kind of a mess. Just like the Royals. Uh, let's have a good mess-off with the Detroit baseball cats. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Maybe this can be a good series for a change. How, how about that? We have lots of bad series this season. Let's, let's do good things again. Um, so, yeah. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. Once again, sorry for not completely explaining myself in the best ways possible, but I hope I at least got the points across. I'll be refreshed and restored on Friday, so I hope I can see you there. Or see you then. Or I guess I'm not seeing you, but hear from you again. I don't know. Whatever. Reach out to me, Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter, or the MFNKC on Twitter, or further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'll see you on Friday, and until then, I'm Lux, and go Royal forevermore!